Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 230. Today, we're talking eastern Pennsylvania big woods bow hunting, so stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you are doing well hope you are feeling fine hope your your turkey dreams are are coming true i had a pretty um a pretty cool weekend not nothing crazy hunting related but i was able to kind of get out and shoot my bow more than i've been able to in the past several weeks which has been awesome physical therapy seems to be working so i actually went out and this will be coming soon so i guess keep 
keep an eye out for on the YouTube channel. But I headed over to uh, a buddy of ours, uh, Archery Shop, Bob and AJ's here that's uh, um, near where I live. It's kind of my hometown, Archery Shop. My buddy Wilson works there, so I headed over there and had been wanting to do a bow review video and shoot a bunch of new bows. Um, but unfortunately shoulder injury, not able to shoot stuff like that. So I had to kind of put it off. I was hoping to do it earlier in the spring or in late winter. Um, so finally got a chance to go over to the shop, uh, this weekend and shot a bunch of bows, reviewed them. And, uh, and then Wilson kind of talked about the specs of them and, and, and setups and some of the, some of the things that are unique for each bow or each flagship bow, um, bow this year. I took a look at, uh, you know, shot a prime shot an elite shot the new Matthews and shot a Bowtech, um, you know, so not going to give, give it away as far as like what my preferences were. Just keep your eyes peeled for the, uh, for the video that'll come out and, and, uh, be sure to check that out. Um, have a cool show today, but before we jump into it, I just want to do a couple quick upfront things to get out of the way. Um, Exodus, our buddies over at Exodus outdoor, outdoor gear might have something interesting coming up that you guys are going to want to want to pay attention to. They might have a a little something, something for the listeners, a little something, something for those who are, uh, who are trail camera fans. So I'd be sure to pay attention to this podcast, pay attention to their Instagram channel and what they've got going on on their YouTube channel and stuff like that to get the deets for the things that might be, might be coming up. So stay on the lookout, uh, for that. And then as always, be sure to head over to the, uh, skullbrewcoffee.com and pick yourself up some killer coffee. So with that, have a cool show today after we get all that housekeeping out of the way. Um, I have on today. Today's a, kind of a unique show. It's a little bit of a selfish show, if I'm being quite honest with you. Um, you know, as you guys have heard, if you listen to this podcast, I've been, I've been venturing out to some different places, doing some scouting in some big woods and in, in, in the PA area. And, um, you know, was really kind of kind of throwing a dart at a dartboard to a degree and, and going out and scouting and started to find some sign and, and things of that nature. You know, I talked about that extensively in a, in a previous podcast with my buddy Aaron Hepler when we went out to scout. But I wasn't real sure about the area because I didn't really know the sign that I was seeing, you know, its relationship to the caliber of deer or quality of deer or whatever the case is. Um, and so, you know, had had a fellow reach out to me um, who has some familiarity with that area um, or with the, with an area that I was kind of looking at in general and um, had some had some information for me to kind of help, you know, confirm some of the things that I thought that I that I thought was true, um, in, in, which was which was nice. And so. I wanted to have this fellow on. His name is uh, Tom Runscavage. Uh, he's from northeastern Pennsylvania, and he's hunted in, in the general area of which I'm kind of looking, which is tons and tons of, of, of public land up there. And so I wanted to have him on, one, selfishly to pick his brain a little bit to see if I could get some, you know, learn a little bit more about the area and what I'm looking at and, and how the deer kind of use terrain and, um, you know, what types of things he's looking for specifically in that area that might be different than what I'm looking for in the areas that, um, that I hunt and maybe some things that are different from other big woods areas that I've, that I've hunted. So had, uh, had Tom on, had a really cool conversation around what it's like to hunt in the, uh, in, in, in Northeastern Pennsylvania and in, in the big woods. He also has done some DIY, um, solo hunts out in the West, uh, for elk and I'm forgetting where it was one, uh, I think mule deer as well, which is super awesome. I mean, you know, doing those solo hunts, <clears throat> I, you know, I'll do a fair amount of those travel hunts and stuff like that for whitetails doing a solo hunt out West in that big country like that is a whole different ball game. Um, in my opinion, and he, and he did that and, and got it done on a, on a, on a good mule deer, mule deer the one year and had, uh, some close opportunities, uh, on his, on his elk hunt as well. And so we talk about that a little bit, 
But the bulk of the conversation is really around the big woods in northeastern Pennsylvania and what he's used and has found uh, to help him be successful. Not just that, but he killed a hell of a deer um, last year that was just it's just an awesome buck. And we get the uh, we get the story on that. And when you kind of hear that, you know, I would if you've not listened to the Nathan Keelan uh, episodes that I've done uh, just a few weeks ago. I would maybe listen to those and then listen to this episode because some of what he talks about whenever he killed that, that his that really that that good buck last year, you'll if you listen to the Nathan Keelan episodes, you'll start to see some similarities and it'll start to make sense as to how how his hunt came together and 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 kind of why it came together. So with that, I'm not going to give anything else away. I'll let you guys kind of dive into the episode. But first, as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a gentleman. He is a, a brother of the Keystone State deer hunter, outdoorsman. I'm talking to my buddy, my new buddy. Man, that's the one thing. Like Social media is terrible for almost everything except meeting cool people that I like to connect with that, that also hunt. And I have on the phone with me, Tom Runscavage. And I think I said your name right this time. Oh, yeah, perfect. Nice. <laughs> How you doing, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, enjoying the uh, kind of spring weather that we're we're starting to get here in PA. I know, right, man? It's this year we're actually getting a little bit of spring, man. It's it seems like more and more it goes straight from winter to summer, and we kind of skip spring. Yeah, you know, which it, go ahead. I see the last the last few years we've had almost like monsoon season. So you have winter monsoon season, and then it gets to seventy to eighty degrees out summertime weather. Yeah, I know. So we're not getting as much rain, thankfully. I know, right? The uh, but I will say this: we got a pile of snow there at the end of the year, and it kind of put a put a pretty big hurting on my scouting plans at right at the end of uh, I guess February or whatever. Whenever I really like to try to hit it, start hitting it hard. It was uh it was yeah. it was a it was a no go and I know up in your neck of the woods I know you guys got pounded with snow so I'm sure you kind of got a late a late start to your scouting too it seems right Yeah yeah it was pretty late unfortunately but uh things are said the woods are starting to green up a little bit but still getting out and uh, getting some scouting in done before that happens Nice well I'm sitting here having a glass of bourbon and looking forward to the chat cuz I know you know we 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 are familiar with some some similar areas but I do have to bring up the fact that I'm drinking a bourbon and you might be drinking a truly is there any is there any truth to that <laughs> uh yeah you could say there is truth to that it's actually a, it's a truly a, the peach tea flavor actually so I actually just got back from uh Florida yesterday so it was the only thing I had left in my uh, my beer fridge down my basement so uh I'll have to restock with uh, some better stuff next time. All right. We'll let it slide since you just got back from vacation (laughs) because that's a, that's a perfectly fine beach drink. So we'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go this time, man. But uh, Tom, before we jump (laughs) into things, man, we were going to, we're going to talk a bunch of deer hunting um, and and pick your brain about some, some new kind of areas and stuff like that, that have been intriguing me for a little while. But before we do all that, if you wouldn't mind, just, you know, let people know where you're from and, and what you do for a living, a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Tom Scavage. I, I live here in uh, northeast Pennsylvania, kind of outside the uh, the Wilkes-Barre area. Um, I, uh, I work in a hospital. I'm a, a nurse practitioner. Um, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old, um, mainly kind of like the traditional PA style, like rifle hunting with the, the dad, the uncles, the grandfather. Um, I started getting kind of hardcore into archery hunting about seven years ago. Um, so ever since then, uh, it's been been archery pretty much uh 24 7 uh on my mind so that's what i like doing the best right and once that bug bites you man it's pretty much all downhill from from there right 
No, it really is. Yeah. And the, the bank account definitely takes a hurting too. <laughs> I can't really afford any more hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that, man. My wife's kind of the same way. She's like, uh, if you start another hobby, she's like, something's got to go. She's like, cause you've got, you got, <laughs> you got too many and they're, and they're too costly. So the archery one that's sticking around. Cause I got this canoe or not a canoe. I got a kayak to get into some water access places. And my idea was, I was like, well, I got the kayak. I was like, you know, maybe I'll start fishing. You know, and she was just like, yeah, yeah. No. she's like, nah, she's like, you, you can get yourself a fishing pole and go out and like get, get the line wet if you want to. But she's like, uh, we're not going to go the route of, uh, of, of archery for fishing. She's like, that's, that's not going to happen. So I you think the double kayak that way you can bring her out too. And then it's kind of a, a, a joint gift. Well, see, that's Maybe you how, can get like a double crossbow. Right. That's, that's so that's how I, that's how I kind of initially got into the kayak. Cause it, it is big enough for two. And I got a second seat for my daughter. Cause I was like, my daughter isn't, she's not really into hunting, but she does like to fish. You know? So I was like, okay. all right. I was like, you know, I was like, I'll, you know, get the kayak and get one that has enough room. That I can get a second seat in it, you know, and, uh, um, take my daughter out fishing. But that's, that's not happened to this, to this point. It's really just a hunting rig. And I used my daughter as a ploy to, to buy a kayak. So, <laughs> so that's, okay. that's fair, that, fair enough. Yeah. So that's really, that's really where that kind of netted out, man. But so you started kind of hunting like the traditional way, you know, you do in, you do in PA, like, do you, do you come from a hunting family or, you know, do all your uncles and grandfathers and stuff like that hunt? Or was it more of just a kind of like your, your household or, or is it more of a family tradition type thing? Yeah, it, it's definitely a kind of a, a family tradition, and um, it was one of those things. I mean, I still remember taking my um, my hunter safety class with my grandfather, literally sitting next to me, and we went for pizza afterwards to celebrate. And it's kind of one of those things that, like, the first day of, of deer season was uh, a holiday um, for us. Like I said, it is for a lot of Pennsylvanians. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I started, and then I, when I got a little bit older like high school into college I'd, i i kind of would come home and, and do the whole rifle hunting thing and then uh once i graduated college and had a little like got a job and a little extra money i'm like well i don't really want to just hunt two days or two weeks out of the year so that's kind of right. where archery picked up for me and uh kind yeah. of been a learning process ever since yeah i mean i think that's one of my favorite things about it is that you know i mean any type of hunting like you're always kind of learning something right but there's just something about you know doing it with archery equipment that um, I mean that you have to get close and it's, it's more intimate and it's up close and personal. And you're usually like, if you're in it, like you're really in it, you know, you're like, if you're in the, in the spot, like you're, you're up in the business, you know, and yeah. that's typically when you find, you know, most of your successes, you, you, you do your homework and your sets up or your, your setups are really, you know, if, if, they, if they pop, you know, you get in action, it's like, man, you're like, you're counting nose hairs, <laughs> you know what I mean? On, yep. on yep. stuff that's exactly. walking by you, you know, which is which is always kind of cool and exciting, but man, nurse practitioner, dude. So you're like the second fellow that I know that is in that space. I don't know if you know, Aaron Hepler, a buddy of mine, but, uh, yeah, yeah. We actually started talking uh, a few weeks ago. He seems a really nice guy and he's also a, a nurse too. So we have yeah. that in common. We've been yeah. talking about. Yeah. I'm envious, man. It sounds like you guys have like the primo schedule for hunting. Do you kind of, I know he has like, he'll work, you know, whatever it is, three, three days or whatever the case is. And then maybe have like four off. Cause he works like three super long shifts. Is it kind of the same for you and work out well for hunting season where you just have a, have a ton of time to, to get into the timber? Yeah. So how I'm, uh, I'm what's called like a hospitalist. So I kind of, I, I work in the hospital, like, uh, like on the daily basis. And, um, we kind of do shift work I, when I was a nurse, we would do like the, the, the three, uh, 12 hour shifts, but now I actually do I do seven 12 hour shifts in a row, but then mm. I'm off for seven days. Oh man. So I, I it's, I, yeah. So every other week I have a, a week off. So it's, it's ideal for hunting. Yeah. 
you get a prime week off without having to take any vacation time during the rut. You're yeah. either you're and either getting into take, take vacation. Yeah, and I, if I do take a vacation week, I can I'll be out for three weeks. So it's 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 awesome. Yeah, and even if you don't, you're probably either catching the always catching the front side of it or the back side of it, right? That's kind of probably how it works out, right? Like you're either probably yeah, catching yeah, probably like, like right around Halloween or that second week of November. Yeah, like I said, I I, I always I always check uh, every like I mean I'm, I've already looked and kind of mapped out my schedule i'm off the first week of uh november but i unfortunately it's kind of halloween is is my week on of work this year but uh right. i, I kind of like the first week of november anyway here in pa better so yeah we'll so that's see. so that's interesting so like where you're where you're at like what what's the uh you know is 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 when you see the most activity or is it you know because i've seen it in di- different in different places right like in some places i've seen you know i'll give you a for example some of the spots around here that i hunt you know, what I've noticed from running trail cameras and stuff like that is just, man, like that classic 28th, 29th, 30th and 31st, like get out of here. Like it's going to, it's going to blow up. And then it kind of, it kind of dies down, you know, right after probably like the first or the second. And it really kind of is a bust for like a little while, you know, and then it really picks up probably like around the eighth, ninth, 10th time time frame is what I've kind of seen. And it's also kind of holds true, you know, whenever I go, back in like Western PA. Um, I haven't hunted my dad's place in several years, but I always run cameras for him. And so I always pull them every year to kind of check. And it's always, you know, his, his area or like his property really kind of pops off like anywhere after like the second through like the sixth or seventh is really like when the okay. action action happens back there. So mm-hmm. is, is it that first week where you're at? Is that what you've noticed is it really kind of pops off or is like, how's the action like the week, the week prior? Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried. I mean, I'll, I'll take off time if I if it, my year happens to fall on Halloween when I'm working, and I'm like I said, I'm always trying to to have that that Halloween action, but I just for some reason never do get into it. I mean, the days that I see the most activity and from um, trail cameras in the past, that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh is kind of like that's the uh, the golden days around where where I usually hunt at. And even if I'm actually two years ago, I was in Colorado on a, a mule deer hunt and. Um, my buddy's sending me videos of this, the buck I was after running across the road. Cause he kind of lives, lives by a the one spot that I hunt. And that was, I think on uh, November 5th. And then uh, I tagged, I think November 6th in Colorado. I come home, I check my cameras like the next week. And I had, I think out of two or three of my cameras, I had nice like three-year-old buck that were cruising like nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. So it was, nice. um, I mean, thankfully, I, I tagged out in Colorado. Else I'd be a little upset that I, I missed all the action at home. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that made, that was kind of my deal this year. It was like I literally had a cell camera in a spot that I, like I had a, a hammer deer that I was trying to kill. And I was going, I was leaving for two weeks to go to Missouri and then Ohio. And so I couldn't take off like the 30th and the 31st. Like I just couldn't take any time mm-hmm. off. And actually, I had so much stuff I had to catch up on for work to get done before I left for two weeks. I actually had to like get on early. I was working from home, working remote and stuff like that, but I couldn't get out in the morning because like the, you know, what I should have done or what I could have done potentially was, you know, get out in the morning and try to kill one, you know, and get back home before like nine, nine thirty. And honestly, it would have worked both days. I just had to sign on early because I had so much stuff to do that I had to kind of like get in early and try to get stuff done so I could get out you know, and, and leave on time to get to Missouri. So I'm literally sitting yeah. here working, watching my cell camera go off with the shooter that I've been trying to kill all season, Ugh. walk by the camera twice between seven 30 and nine 30 in the morning on the 30th. And then again, between twice between seven 30 and I think like 10 o'clock 
a.m. on the 31st. So it was like, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't the only close like call I had with that, that fellow that was like, I missed him by a day both times. Cause as you know, a PA guy can't hunt Sundays. So I showed up two yeah. different Saturdays to hunt him and had the same weather conditions. The fall that's that Sunday, the day after both times. And he showed up both times in the general area that I was mm-hmm. on in, you know, hitting a scrape, you know, the day after I was there. So, you know, what are you going to do, man? You know, you got to, got to work for a living, got to pay yeah. the bills, but it so, is what it is. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's tough. It's a lot of it. I mean, you could be in the right place at the right time, but I think that if you don't have luck on your side, it's, I think that's kind of the last key component of, of success sometimes is, is definitely having that luck. Well, that's right, man. It's like, you know, there's, there's, you know, the more I kind of done this podcast and there's a lot that you can stack in your favor and do things right and stuff like that, but it still comes down to, you know, those things have to line up for you. You know what I mean? And it's little things like, you know, another hunter could walk through and bump, bump a deer off his, you know, path of travel that might be coming to you or a coyote or whatever. I mean, there's a hundred, you know, million different things that could happen yeah. that could change the, change the course of that deer's, you know, how he's going to move or whatever. But so there's definitely a component of luck, but definitely tagging out in Colorado definitely makes it a little easier to watch <laughs> things happen, yeah. happening back home. So, but, you know, speaking of that, that trip, that was a DIY kind of solo trip, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I, I mean, again, like growing up, like I've always hear about my, like I said, my grandfather and uncles and all that thing. Oh, like, like one day I want to go to Saskatchewan or like, I'd love to go out West and do these things. And, like I said, for a long time, I'm like, oh, like I'd love to do these hunts too. And it just didn't really seem feasible. And then I think in the last, I don't know, five or six years, like we just see like go hunt and all this like mm-hmm. popularity of Western hunting and how accessible it is for, for people to do it. So I actually have friends that, that from home that, that got married and they, they moved out there. So okay. I had a place to stay and I, I'd always would tell them like, like they don't hunt or anything. And I'd, I'd be like, oh, if you ever find anybody that does hunt or like just maybe try to set me up with somebody. So, right. so they did meet like my, the, the, the gentleman, he, uh, he, one of the people he works with, he was able to kind of give me someone's contact number and I got in touch with him and he was kind of telling me some of like the public that's, that's around that area. And like, so I went out there and, uh, a third season rifle tag, he showed me around the first day. And, uh, I mean, we drove around the trucks and like, that, that's, that's pretty much like what I learned the first day is there was so much road traffic, just driving up and down these, these mountains and right. uh, looking for deer. And I'm like, I mean, I didn't see anything. I'm like, we, I got to get away from these roads. So I hiked in um, to another area, like I said, not, not too far away from the town that I, I was staying in. And I was kind of like, like hunting back here, like just day hunts. I I'd hunt all day, come back, sleep at my friend's house and then go back out the next day and everything. And, uh, right. I think it was the third day of the hunt that I was just kind of I was walking up these benches. I was in kind of like an aspen thicket, and uh, I kicked out these two two doe, and they kind of went over up to the next bench. So I, I followed them up there, and then I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, wait, I, I see, I think I see three dark bodies because they're for some reason the mule deer in this area were like they were like black, like their color was so dark. So I like I pull up my my scope and everything on my gun, like put my hiking stick in the in the snow and uh, rest my gun on it, and I. I look and I just see half of a rack behind this aspen tree and I put it right behind the shoulder. And that was only a 60 yard shot. And of course from PA, like there's not too many places that you can shoot far. So I, I went, I drove about an hour multiple times in the summer to a, uh, to a 200 yard range, just to practice and everything. And of course right. I go out there and shoot a, a mule deer at 60 yards. <laughs> like it's back here at home. So Right. That's funny, man. But so, yeah, it was, it, it was fun. Nice. And, and so you did that trip and then you did an elk trip too, didn't you? That was another kind of DIY trip. 
Yeah. Yes. So last September, I, uh, I'm like, well, I'm going to go back to kind of the same area um, and do that again. And um, that time I, I, I camped out in the woods and everything and, and didn't have anybody with me. And like, uh, it, it's tough. Like I, I give credit that guys, like I said, that can to go out to solo, like camp in the woods by yourself, elk hunting and everything like that. Cause it's, it's, it's definitely taxing on the mind. Yeah. Actually, like th- when I got out there, that, that, it was kind of when they were getting that bad weather, that big snowstorm that hit, I think September 10th, I went out there. Right. And, um, like my, my friends, they walked me up kind of, they hiked up with me like in the afternoon to kind of help me just get set up and everything. And they walk away and like, just get that thinking feeling like, all right, like now you're by yourself, like it's snowing, like it's just kind of miserable conditions out. Like I I woke up in the morning and my, my boots were frozen. I'm getting those on. And actually as I, I left the, the tent and started kind of hiking up. I, I'm not like maybe about 300 yards up. Like it was kind of just all sagebrush. And I was going into like the Aspens kind of where I shot my mule deer at the year before. And um, I actually bump an elk and he kind of runs, runs into the Aspens. And I just kind of go to the edge of there and like my heart's racing. I'm like trying to think <laughs> of what to do. I, I blew a couple of cow calls and then picked up a stick and started raking. And actually like I could, I still see it in my head vividly, this elk kind of coming back from the Aspens and coming kind of running parallel alongside me and he got to around, I, I thought it was 30 yards, it ended up being 36 yards and he was just coming, coming, coming. And he was like looking right at me. And I, I always like from all the YouTube videos and the podcasts I listened to about kind of how just don't get downwind of them. Like just stay still, try not to get downwind of them, get your wind and everything. And where he was, it was kind of his, his vitals were kind of covered with some, some brush and he had 10 more yards to walk and he would have been in an opening, but my wind was blowing directly that mm-hmm. direction so i kind of just took a shot and ended up uh just hitting the brush and deflecting off but right. i think for going by myself and uh just going in an area that's definitely not like a known area like i didn't run into another elk hunter out there and stuff like right. having an encounter with an elk I, I consider that a successful trip so another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, heck yeah, man. Especially by yourself. I mean, it's, dude, it's, it's ballsy to go out west and just do it by yourself. You know what I mean? Like in general. Yeah. Because I mean, those, those you know, those mountains are no joke. <laughs> no, it really isn't. And like, you know. at least that time, that was the first day of the trip. Like I would have had help to help me pack it out and I wasn't far in, but the next couple of days when I was back there and getting farther and farther back, like it's just, I'm like, come there came to the realization. Like if I want to do elk hunt like this again, like I need to have at least one other buddy just for the sheer fact of like, if I got something like it would take me a straight 24 hours of hiking down and back and down and back just to get all the meat out. And then right. I flew out there. So like I would have had to like figure out a way of, of getting everything kind of processed and, and, yeah. and taken care of. And the mule, a mule deer, I, I figured out pretty well. I was able to kind of take most of it on the plane. And I, I cut the, uh, the antlers down, down the skull plate and was able to ship that back. And, uh, right. that worked out well, but an elk is obviously a, a whole nother beast to try to a whole different figure thing. out how to get, yeah. get home. Yeah. Try to get that, to try to get all that stuff back. I know when I shot that buck in Iowa, like I had them just basically ship all, I like to break my own stuff down, but I shot it on the last day and I ended up having mm-hmm. them kind of, uh, just at least debone everything and then put it on dry ice and actually just ship all the meat back to me. 
um, which yeah, wasn't as yeah. expensive as, as I had thought. Like it wasn't terribly, it wasn't terribly expensive. So that wasn't, that wasn't too bad, but man, going into the, the Rockies kind of on your own, you know, not having elk hunted before and stuff like that. Like that's kudos to you, man. Cause that's, that's, that's tough sledding just in general. Right. And yeah, it's thanks. like, you gotta, you gotta have some like woodsmanship and a little bit of, uh, a little bit of outdoor savvy to kind of be able to, to do that and not lose your marbles. Cause it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're in completely new terrain. Things look different. You don't have any really sense of like wayfinding because you don't know any of the areas, right? It's like at least whenever you're yeah, in areas yeah. you're familiar with, it's like if you get up on top of a ridge, you're like, okay, I know that's like such and such point over there. So that means this is over here. You know what I mean? You can kind of find a way to reorient yourself. But whenever you're in an yeah. area that you don't know landmarks and stuff like that, like it's it's hard, you know, and it can be yeah. a little bit, it can make you a little nervous to be honest with you, you know, just. Oh, yeah. The yeah. best thing I bought, I, I brought with me was a, a set of uh, earplugs. It was just so eerily quiet at nighttime because here, like PA, you have crickets and everything. It just was like on those mountains, just dead silent. And it's like, all right, right, like if I when I get attacked by a mountain lion, I'd rather it be like on my tent instead of hearing it walk around outside around my tent. So right, it's like I just rather I it happen that, than know it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, just, just take me out, like jump on the tent and get me that way. Like I don't want to hear you walking around trying to trying to get me that way. Like stalking me. Yeah, I don't want to hear you stalking. Yeah, you know. Yeah, my bu- <laughs> my buddy lives in uh, Montana, and um, he's lived there for years now. I'm probably going on twenty years. I th- I think. Um, and he does a lot of like spike, uh, spike camp hunting on his own. He lives in, in Lincoln, um, Montana, which is like, I think if okay. I'm not mistaken, is like the highest grizzly bear population, like density per capita, like in the U S like, uh, like he's got him in his backyard. Like he'll send me pictures every now and then of like a grizzly, like walking through his backyard or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he'll go out and like yeah, spike camp by himself for like, you know, four days, whatever it is, you know, he'll hike into an area where he's got good weather for a couple of days and he'll just hike in, set up a small tent and live out there by himself for a couple of days. And I'm like, man, that's just like a, you know, I, I don't know, man, bears are like the one thing that it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to hunt those areas. I don't know that I'd be willing to do it by myself necessarily. Yeah. I think in, in that situation, I'd want the buddy system. <laughs> You know? Oh yeah, for sure. And a slower, a slower buddy to outrun. So. Right. <laughs> that is, that is key, man. A slower buddy for sure. <laughs> for sure. But I mean, it's funny cause it's just a matter of one of those things where it's like your, your environment that you live in, that's not anything out of the ordinary for him. That's just normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. What you're used to. Yeah. It's like that he, it'd be like you or I going out to deer hunt by ourselves, like where we wouldn't think anything of it. So now I'm just going to go hunt, you know, and that's how he is. He's just, you know, it's like, now it's just, there's bears and mountain lions and you just got to watch what you're doing. Don't be an idiot. You know, it's kind of his, his approach, but well, cool, man. Let's, uh, let's dive into some, some whitetail stuff now. Cause I wanted to pick your brain about a little bit of stuff. I know you're, you know, like you'd mentioned, you're from Northeast Pennsylvania and, you know, folks that listen to this podcast know I've been kind of dipping my toe in some of the big wood settings up up in that area, just kind of checking some things out. And I'm hoping to maybe get a hunt or two in this year. I'm really kind of trying to do some information gathering this year and, you know, run some cameras and then, you know, more so probably looking toward next year to not this coming season, but the season after to hunt. Once I kind of have a sense of like, are the areas I'm looking at, are there, you know, deer spending time there? Is it, are they spending enough time there for me to hunt? Am I in the right spots? And once I kind of know that, mm-hmm. then start to start to kind of hunt the area. So I want to kind of talk about that, you know, area in general. So just give, the folks listening like a sense of like in your area what size are those are those are those parcels in general like whether it's it could be state forest it could be game lands because i mean 
I think a lot of people, especially around where I live, you know, north of Philadelphia and the burbs, you know, when you get out into the quote unquote country in this area, like you'll have some parcels that, you know, might be 60 acres. You have some that might be a thousand or 1200, right? And that's about as big as you're going to get here. So what are some of the sizes of acreage in the general area where you're hunting? So it's a good mix of uh, everything. So kind of where I focus on hunting, it's it's a little bit north of where I live. And uh, that's that's primarily uh, game, game lands areas. Mm-hmm. And that can range anywhere. There's some of the pieces that are 1,000 acres all the way up to, to 40,000 acres. Um, so there's definitely a, a wide variety of, of sizes. But in the north, northern part of, of where I'm primarily hunting, there's, there's pieces that are, are, are 30 to, to 40,000 that are kind of touching and really close to each, each other. So right. that's, that's a good amount of land uh, to explore. And uh, a little bit south of me, um, kind of getting more towards um, going down towards your, your way in the, the Philadelphia area, there's, there's definitely other little parcels that kind of connect together right. um, between kind of state forest and, and game land too um, right. that are not as big, but definitely kind of good pieces of land to, to get lost in. Right. And so it's like when you look at that area, I mean, you know, to your point, it's like there's like some 30,000 piece acre pieces, 40,000. And they're not all that far from one another either. And so like when you think about it, it's like, you know, I was actually doing the math one day when I was looking. I was like, man, there's like like in the general area, you know, within a reasonable drive, like there's probably close to like 200,000 acres just like in an area. You know what I mean? That you could oh, easily, you know, not that you would be able to hunt it one spot in the morning and then drive the, to the other complete side, like the next, like for the evening hunt or whatever, it might be an hour drive, but like you're kind of around public that whole time, you know what I mean? Like you're really not leaving, like being too awful far away from a public piece. And that was the one thing that I kind of was really kind of, that really interested me just because there was so much to explore. So these areas, have you been hunting them all of your, all of your life? Or is this, you know, when you started exploring some of these bigger pieces, was that, you know, later in your, in your hunting journey, or when did you kind of start exploring some of these really big chunks? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, when I was growing up doing the rifle hunting and everything, that was more kind of uh, the Southern part of where I live um, that were not as big woods per se um, areas that I hunted. Once I got into archery, I said, I had, I had a, I had some pieces of private initially that I had had permission to hunt in and I kill a few deer um, on those pieces, but, it was one of those things I just was constantly between like whether it's the neighbors doing work on the, on the land or other people that had permission to hunt. It was kind of, I was always running into people and I was always kind of disturbed in my hunt. So that's when I started kind of venturing farther out to places that I could walk around and not see another soul um, anywhere right. that, I, that I go. So right. um, I would say probably the last like five to six years, I've kind of been slowly dabbling with maybe the last like three years kind of really, really uh, focusing in on, on the big woods kind of setting of, of where I live. Right. And so when you started kind of exploring that stuff, like what was your process for starting to break it down? Cause pe- people do it, you know, all different types of people do it differently. Right. It's like, I got some buddies that are just like map freaks and they're so freakishly good at maps with maps. It's like, they'll almost like be able to pinpoint where they need to be like on a map <laughs> to a degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, And then I have some buddies who it's like, eh, you know, they'll get a general idea from the map and then they're just going to go put hammer boots on the ground. And I, I know some guys that just, 
they're not going to need a whole lot of intel. They're just going to kind of go in and, you know, and, and wing it to a degree, not wing it, but you know, they're going to go in and kind of freelance it, freestyle it and figure it out on the fly. You know? So I'm just curious, man, how did you start to break down this piece? What was kind of your approach to kind of figuring out how to hunt this big wood setting? So to give people a little kind of a a picture in their head like this, it it might be, it's 40, let's say 40,000 acres in this piece that I, that I hunt at. I would say, honestly, 75% 75% of it's all kind of flat terrain. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it, you're in the mountains, but a lot, like I said, a lot of like when you, when, what, what you access when you get in there to the parking lots per se are kind of at the tops of these mountains. Yeah. So really, like I said, initially you're, you're kind of in these parking areas and then like, it's a lot of beach. It's a lot of maple. It's a lot of hemlock. So there's not really, like I said, you coming, like starting the, the hunt, the archery and kind of you hear, everyone talking like oh like find the oaks when they're dropping and all that like there are very very few oak trees and and, and stuff like that kind of where i'm at yeah um there are some but like i said it's not going to be the staple food source right so once you kind of realize that and realize that these deer like i said they're it's a low deer density that a lot of the time they spend is is is, is just traveling and browsing like honestly when i've had cameras running the summer i'll i'll get mainly actually i'll all different bucks like i rarely get doe on camera in some of these spots which hmm. makes me think that once the the, like I said, the fall comes and the, and the rut happens like these deer are traveling long distances to to find doe um so like i said how i break it down for the most part at least now anymore is is i look for the most diversity that i can find in a, a select area whether it's there's there's a lot of a lot of good uh outcomes from from the clear cuts and all that that they do um Mm -hmm. throughout the state of pennsylvania and across other states obviously but kind of keying in on those clear cuts and kind of using those as a starting point is kind of what i've started doing the last couple years and kind of really trying to figure out where these deer are calling home and kind of offers them more browse more cover Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of where i start my process of uh of, of breaking it down um also, the game commission. I, I think the game commission does a great job. I, I, anybody that's in the state of Pennsylvania, I recommend you go on the the game commission website, pull up their map because their map's going to tell you a lot of things. They're going to they're going to tell you what roads that you can drive, when these mm-hmm. roads are open, when they close. Mm-hmm. They're also going to tell you things like prescribed burns, when they're expected to happen, ones that have previously happened over the last few years. Um, that's all going to be marked out. And then same thing with the clear cuts. Um, I would pair that with Onyx uh, to kind of just see like where these burns are happening, where these clear cuts are happening. A lot of times too, Onyx doesn't really update the uh, the clear cut set. Like like if a clear cut happens, it, it might not be on Onyx for for two plus years. Right. So um, if you go on the Game Commission website, they'll they'll tell you like it's you kind of have to explore a little bit. But if you go on the website, it'll tell you like when. Um, they've contracted out certain pieces of game lands to to different companies that come in and log it. So if you kind of see, oh, like in the next month or two, they're going to be timbering 300 acres on this piece that I hunt. Like, go back in there and kind of explore and see where they're they're going to do that at because Onyx is not going to have it on there for a year or two to even see. So right. you can kind of get a jump start in finding these new areas that are going to be kind of more attractive to deer before other people right. go in and, and find them too. Yeah, no, that's, uh, um, I, I also, I was going to say it's a hundred percent what I was doing. I was kind of, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head and that, and that goes for anywhere. Like regardless of what part of PA you live in, you know, 
I do the same thing you do, which is I look at Onyx, I kind of get my bearings about where I might want to go, right? Where, you know, topography wise, like I'm looking at the topo saying like, all right, here's some interesting topography features I might want to check out. And then I look at the aerial to kind of get a sense of like, is there a hard edge somewhere where like the, where there's a transition line of, of habitat or something like that, that might be something I want to check out. Right. That isn't always a hundred percent true. It's like, I've, I've walked into places before where what I saw on the aerial didn't match what I was seeing whenever I got boots on the ground, but it's at least a good starting spot. And then the next thing I do is exactly what you said is I go on the game lands website, you know, on their, on their maps. And I start looking at areas that were logged and what type of logging they did. Cause it'll tell you whether it was select clear cut, like whatever the case is and give you a sense of like what that cut looks like burns. It'll tell you where there's like Oak flats or young Oak forests and stuff like that. So you can kind of start to narrow things down. I do the same thing as you do. And then what I do, I literally take a picture of that map on my computer with my phone and I'll drop a pin on on X and put that picture in there. That way I know the shape of like the cut or I know the shape of, especially if the cuts not on on X or the shape of that Oak Mm. flat, you know what I mean? That I'm, that I'm looking at. So I know where the edges of that, of that, you know, of that stuff is. And I'll just focus yeah, exactly. my scout on those areas, you know? Yeah. The, the more different colors and different things you see going on, like that's, that's where I kind of start the process of, of going in there and exploring and seeing what it looks like. Right. Um, and also, like I said, I, I've had, I've had good and bad luck with the, uh, the food plots that they've put in too as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously other people are going to see that and it's going to kind of draw draw hunters mainly sure. I, I feel like during rifle season yeah but like i said now's a great time because again you, you don't really have great food sources i mean they're, they again they're browsing for everything but like some of this clover that's popping up on some of these secluded little plots there on game lands like if you put a camera over that like you're going to get a good majority of, of the different deer that are kind of in that area mm-hmm. per se like at least now like you're going to see what's growing you're going to see like what's around you and then from there kind of like backtracking of where where he might be at and kind of figuring out how to hunt them like i think right. those food plots if you can find those good clover plots that they're 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 planting and everything like that or, or maintaining whether it's mowing every every year i think those mm-hmm. are are definitely a, a benefit to yeah to keep and, an eye on. and I, I agree with you i think a lot of the pressure that's around those is certainly during gun season the other the other thing is too is that at least some of the ones that on <clears throat> the one piece that i was on that i found it was probably a mile. I mean, the, the, the road that was there was plenty hikeable. I mean, they had it graded out big enough to run equipment on cause they had just cut back there. Right. And it was gravel mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I'm sure they use it probably for like some type of fire access if there was ever a fire or whatever, but I'm assuming that's kind of what that was used for. Um, but it was still for hunting purposes, it was still a mile walk for anyone who wanted to go hunt that right. Whether it was rifle archery or whatever, and that's still a hike, yeah. right? And a lot of people aren't going to make that hike that far. And I don't care how easy the hike is. You know, statistics will show you that most 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 deer hunters don't walk much more than a half mile from where they park. Yeah, like that's just like exactly. Like you, you know. the, the biggest thing is just that the deer aren't going to come out like in the in yeah. the evenings because they're still going to be deer and they're going to be like they're not going to want to come out in daylight into those plots. That's the biggest thing you have to realize. Like, yep. you have more chance of that not ha- that happening than you do another hunter coming in a mile. Right. back while you're while you're in there so yeah yeah so i mean you mentioned something at the beginning which was something that you know i realized when i got you know into into an area was that a lot of this stuff when you think about that area of pennsylvania you know is or even if you go to western pa it's kind of the same you know whether it's northeast or western pa you kind of almost where you're at and your parking or where your where your access is and stuff like that you are really kind of at the top of the mountains 
And so, yep. you know, you're almost like you're hunting mountain terrain kind of, but you're also hunting very flat kind of almost like swamp type terrain as well. Exactly. So, yep. you know, what, I, uh, what are you looking for? In bikes t- are, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I know, that's why like I said the mountain bikes are like uh, amazing for, for that kind of terrain because I, I can, if I'm up top, I can just get on the mountain bike and it, it's relatively flat and I can travel a lot of distance quick just, just using bikes, bike mm-hmm. systems in, in kind of these areas. Right. And so how are, what are you looking at for topography? Like when you're looking at the map, you know, and you're going to go in and scout an area, maybe let's say it's like an area that's close to where you've hunted before, but there's an area that you just haven't checked out, let's say for an example. Right. And it's kind of got that flat kind of setup. You know, what are you, mm-hmm. what are you being drawn to, you know, aside from the stuff we talked about, right. From like the perspective of like looking for diversity and stuff like that. Is there like any type of topography feature that you kind of gravitate toward in this particular area? So sometimes you'll see it on, on the maps, but sometimes it's just so subtle that it, it's hard to really pick up. But any, there, there are little, little elevation changes when you get on that flat stuff. There are certain <laughs> areas that I, like I said, I was out there today, Turkey hunting and there's one spot you'll be able to see it on the map, but it, it may be, it's up about 30 to 40 feet kind of above, above the rest. And it, it used to be kind of an old, uh, um, a deer exposure area. So they, they mm-hmm. kind of taken down the fences since. So that just gives me a little bit of that elevation that I can kind of work around and scout through it. And I saw multiple trails that are kind of just running that perimeter kind of right, right below the top of, of those, those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just walk around and try to find those slight little inclines, um, I find that's a little bit successful. Usually they're around kind of swampy areas too. Like the mm-hmm. bottom will be a little bit wetter and then like yeah. it'll kind of be that real thick brush that's kind of like it's it's good for deer walking underneath but when you get about four feet tall it's kind of that that thick brush that makes it difficult to to walk through if you're a person right um i'll find a lot of that kind of habitat and i, I find a lot of good deer sign just on those kind of marshy bottom areas yeah and i was also kind of running into you know it, well there was i think what you're you kind of mentioning too is like the almost like these mountaintop swamps, right? Where just like low lying areas on the top that kind of get, get swampy. And I was finding a bunch of mountain laurel too, that was just like gnarly thick. <laughs> and I was actually yeah, finding yeah. some decent stuff there as well. Yeah. That mountain laurel, that's, that's where, how I killed my buck, buck this past year. I was kind of set up real close to mountain laurel. If you can find those kind of travel routes through that, through the mountain laurel and set up close to them, like that provides deer with perfect uh, bedding and cover and everything like that. So right. um, mountain laurel is definitely a good thing. And, Again, I think a lot of times, as you said, like most hunters aren't going to walk a mile back. Um, if you just, even if you find a parking lot, like let's just say you, if you find good sign, maybe 200 yards back. Like I wouldn't really be opposed to, to, to not hunting it because again, if you're hunting weekdays or even in archery season, I don't really find a lot of pressure um, mm. those times. Like obviously when you get towards closer towards the rut and like I said, the Halloween time, you're going to see more guys, but really like i said you up up there at least you have pretty much the whole place to yourself a lot of times right uh, at least in archery archery season come rifle it's it's a whole another another ball game right but then also like i said it, it, let's say a parking lot's up top like then i'll try to find areas that are close by that are more hiking down the hill and try to get more of those ridges right. and and uh like bench systems and everything or let's just say the parking lot's down below like i'll try to hike up and find find areas there and, and usually i find more deer sign when you kind of change that elevation because most hunters aren't going to want to go hike up or hike down in spots. 
Right. Yeah. <clears throat> that was the one thing I was actually going to ask you. I'm glad you mentioned that about the, about the pressure because my kind of hope was, you know, going north to bigger pieces, you know, and just being honest where there's less population density too, right? Because like where I live, the pieces are smaller and I'm in a, you know, a suburb of Philadelphia where there's a lot of people who live, you know, who live in this area. So, you know, just by that, you know, um, by those two things alone means there's going to be maybe not as many hunters in this general area, but a, a lot of people, probably a fair amount of hunters and just not a lot of places to go. Right. So you just end up jamming yeah. people onto the handful of places that there are. And that was kind of my hope was to get up there and start to get away from away from people, especially as I kind of hike further, further back in. And I actually ran into a couple old timers when I was there on my first trip and just kind of. Oh, started... yeah. There's... What's that? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no I've, was... I've seen a lot of old timers hiking, but not not really hunting. There's right. Like, a lot of people like going for walks up there. Yeah. And that's kind of what I ran into is a couple old timers that were that were hiking and I was actually getting ready to leave. Um, and I just kind of pulled off the side and I just asked them, I was like, Hey, you fellas from around here. And they said, yeah, they're, they were local. And, and they were like, Oh, they asked me, you know what I was up doing. I think I forget what they asked me if I, if I was trapping or something like that. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm up scouting for deer. I'm like, Oh, okay. They were like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of big ones, you know, get pulled out, you know, if you get far enough back, you know, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And I just said, Hey, how's the pressure? A lot of hunters around here. And they said, Oh yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of gun hunting. And I was like, well, what about archer season? And the guy was like, archer season and turkey season. He's like, you won't see another soul. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, you know? yeah. It, it, I, would pet, I, I would bet you 20 bucks right now that if you saw more than two people while you're up there archery hunting, like, like that would be, I, I would be surprised. Really? Are, you, are you, you talking like, while you're hunting? Like while you're in the woods or while you're in the parking lot? While you're in the woods. While parking the woods. lot's a different story. Right. You're going to see a lot of road hunt, not really road hunters, but a lot of, a lot of guys just, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, maybe... They just like driving around, but I, I always see a lot of people just kind of cruising by in their car. I don't, I don't even know if they're really just hunting or they're just like going for drives because a lot of the a lot of the uh, the road system though is kind of more the perimeter. Like you're mm-hmm. you're not really there's no real roads that travel kind of into some of these spots. Like it's yeah. a lot of it's just kind of on the outside. So yeah, really you just even if even if you see another two cars in a in a in a certain spot that you're at like you get back in there and start going towards the middle of the piece or, or whatever, like you're, you're going to get away from, from them pretty right. quickly. Right. So, I mean, do you find, I'm just curious cause when I spent, so everything you've described is what I had seen when I was in, in, in one of these, one of these spots, just, you know, the, you, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, it almost reminds mm-hmm. you a little bit of Maine about how some areas are just kind of really wide open and you get into like these beachy areas and then you get into like some, you know, hemlocks and stuff like that. And it's just, and, and you'd mentioned that, you know, I didn't find a lot of oaks. I found pockets of oaks here and there, which can be great if they're dropping because it'll concentrate deer. Right. But you got to time it. Right. Yep. If you don't time mm-hmm. it, then it's, and then you're pretty much, you know, it's, it's, you're busted essentially. Right. It's like, you're there yep. whenever they've either have eaten them all or you're there before they've, before they've dropped and, or they may not, that tree or that pocket may not produce this year or whatever the, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, one thing I was kind of noticing as I was finding sign was that it would just kind of be clustered. Like it'd be, it'd be, Oh, there's some sign here. And then I would walk for like what seemed like for forever and I wouldn't see anything. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, Oh, there's some sign here. And it just felt like the deer in this particular piece in this area were yes, they're transient, like where they're moving long lines of movement between, you know, whether it's bed or what in browsing, whatever the case is. 
but it mm-hmm. felt like deer just kind of lived in pockets. And if you weren't in one of those pockets, you were pretty much going to be shit out of luck, you know, cause it felt yeah, like they kind of congregated in those particular areas and you might get a buck that's traveling from area to area during rut to a degree, like checking doe bedding and stuff like that. But those doe bedding pieces felt like they were like a pretty fair distance apart is how it kind of felt. Yeah. Like the sign was all kind of like in an area and that's where the deer were. And if, if you weren't there, then like you're, you, you're going to see nothing is what it felt like. Yep. So, so what I, I like to do is I, I know, like I said, some people do this to an extent, but if I'm walking and scouting a new piece, I mark everything, every little rub that I find every likely, like I said, if it's a, like I said, a scrape, um, anything I'll, droppings, I'll mark it all. Like, cause again, in these areas, you're not really finding a whole lot of signs. You're finding, like I said, these pockets of sign. So those pockets of sign, like that's where I usually kind of run a cluster of cameras when I do kind of identify that pocket. Like maybe I'll put three cameras in, a, in a, I don't know, maybe like a, a 75 to 100 yard radius kind of around these different areas, different trails to see what's coming into them. But mm-hmm. like I said, if you mark all of this stuff and just when you're at home the next few weeks, just look at this you can see kind of where everything, where all the action's happening. Like you can identify where they're kind of, may, possibly where they're likely bedding at. I mean, up there it's hard because I feel like bedding is kind of all over the place and, yeah. and it's not really um, like a one centralized spot. Um, but if you can kind of start putting the pieces together, I, I think that's helpful. So I, I usually yeah. just mark everything that I find and I'll change the colors throughout the years so I can kind of see kind of historical trends of what I'm finding regarding regarding that kind of sign that, that, I'm, yeah. that I'm locating. Yeah. And that was what I was doing. Like as we were finding sign, I was marking it. And then when I went back and looked at it, I kind of figured out how, like, so I found some rubs that were, that looked very consistent, right? They looked like they were made by a deer, right? Um, and found mm-hmm. some scrapes. And then I ultimately ended up finding a small rub line. When I say a small rub line, it wasn't like the rubs were like super small. I mean, they weren't, they weren't knock your socks off. And that was the other thing that was getting a little bit, like confusing or not confusing. Cause I just didn't have a frame of reference until you and I started talking. Cause yeah. I, there's been some big woods pieces that I've hunted where I know the caliber of deer that are in there based on trail camera. And you look at the sign, it doesn't match the deer. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. didn't know if this was one of these spots where it's like, is like the sign just going to be minuscule or am I just not in the right spot? And when you and I started talking, you were like, yeah, there's not, you're going to rarely find that like knock your socks off rub. That's like neck high and just torn up. Like that's just not, you're probably not going to find a lot of that. And essentially when you and I were talking, you're like, what you are finding, it was like, was, was the good stuff. And I ended up following this rub line out to a buck bed that was below a clear cut. It was like classic, like right below the clear cut, you know, of, of Mm -hmm. those probably, probably rut bedding is what I'm, is what I'm guessing. And when I went back and kind of pieced like the beds that I found together, the buck bed that I found, the rubs that I found, the scrapes that I found, I was like, well, this is how he's working. Like, this is how he's moving Mm -hmm. through here. This is how he's getting through to check these two different doe bedding areas. And this is how his route of travel connecting these these things and so you're right it was like just and i didn't even think to do it it was just one of those things where it was a new area so i was marking like whatever i had found and i was like yeah, All right, yeah. here here's his here's his movement this is how he's doing this you know now i just have to figure out like what time of year that was <laughs> essentially right like is yeah it, exactly. you know is it late october is it you know is it you know first week of november it's you know because i'm imagining these guys travel a fair amount of ter- a fair amount of ground so getting on some type of, you know, rut pattern is probably non-existent. Is that, is that kind of what you've experienced to where it's like, 
you know, in smaller parcels, you might get like a three day loop that a buck does where you're like, Oh, he's going to hit this scrape every three days. My experience has been in some of these big woods pieces. It's like, he might hit that scrape twice in like two days. And then you may not see him again for 10 days on that scrape. Yeah. Like I, I don't think like it's, it's, it's tough. It's, I've always, like I said, growing up here, trying to figure out these things because it's not what you, you read about or, or hear mm-hmm. about. Like, it's, it's just it's just a little bit different, whether it's just I'm still kind of learning on my own uh, as well. But I just never really see a consistent, like, three-day pattern, four-day pattern, anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. I will get deer, I, I will get the same deer coming by maybe once every every week, sometimes maybe every three days sometimes every two weeks, like it, it's just so sporadic. It's hard to really kind of say why they're doing it when they do um, and kind of putting the pieces together. Um, like I said, in the, 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 that, that buck that I, I got a picture of that I was telling you about when uh, I was in Colorado, like I only got a picture of this guy one time and actually it was a three frame photo. It was a photo first of a doe running by. I think it was a minute or two later. I have a, a little four pointer walking by with his tongue out. And then five minutes after that, I had this, this tank eight pointer walking by and, and I don't never saw him again. Like, and that was first mm-hmm. week of October, probably just, just cruising and following a hot doe. And, uh, um, just, I didn't get him any other cameras. I think they just kind of travel so, so far of an area and they're just kind of in and out of spots throughout, throughout the season, whether there's acorns in the area, like if you do find a cluster of oaks or, just when when leaves drop and it's just kind of changing their their, their bedding um, patterns as well, just because of, of of cover. I think there's just kind of a lot of different variables, and it's hard to really pinpoint exactly right. um, what kind of pattern to, to follow to get to get on one consistently. Right. It's it's one of those areas where it's like as I was scouting through, you know, where, where I think you have to be patient. Like I'm usually relatively aggressive. Um, but, you know, I've learned my lesson in some other big woods where I need to be a little bit more patient because I've screwed myself by being too aggressive. Right. Is that so let me ask you that. Like, what is your hunting style, I guess? Are you like, do you hunt super mobile or are you really aggressive? Or are you more patient? Do you kind of pick your moments when you're going to try to kind of go in and, and hunt a deer? Like, how do, how do you kind of approach that? Um, I, I've been progressively getting more, more aggressive. Um, I, I rarely will hunt from the same tree anymore. I, I may be in the same area, but I, I kind of stay mobile. Um, I usually, um, like I said, with my work schedule, I'll go out like whenever I, I can. I don't, I, obviously if a cold front or anything like that comes, I, I'll try to make a priority to go out hunting, mm-hmm. but I, I, uh, I don't necessarily, um, uh, wait for a certain moments to go in. Like, I, if if you were going to ask me about kind of uh, if I, I never put a stand up to kind of have like a uh, like a what are they? I'm trying to think the word I'm looking for. Like just to sur- survey an area. Well, I'm not, an, ob- to, an observation well, sit. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no really point. I don't think in, in this kind of habitat to do observation sits. Um, I try to get right into where I think they're either coming out of or, or going towards, um, whether it's, it's bedding or feeding, I kind of try to get that, that middle ground the best mm-hmm. I can, but more focus on getting closer to the bedding um, than the feed. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, in an area like that observation sits, um, you may only see that deer one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you better, you better kill him if you see him. So. Right. Right. It's not like one of those things where you're, you're, you're trying to, uh, lay the trap and then kind of like tighten the, 
tighten the loop on him necessarily because he may never be back. You know, that might be the only time yeah. he comes through that area or, or whatever the case is. So you've mentioned, you know, using cameras and stuff like that. Like, where are you, where are you setting cameras? Cause that's the one thing that for me, truthfully, it's like, as you and I are sitting here talking, I've been contemplating heading back up this weekend to get a little turkey hunt in and hang some cameras in some areas that I had found when I was previously scouting and, and, and then do some additional scouting. But, you know, as I was kind of walking through, like there were some, you know, scrapes that were pretty decent that had some licking branches where it looked like, okay, these might be used, you know, more year round than they, than just, you know, a, than just during, you know, pre-rut and rut, you know, possibly, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's that bed that I found that I was kind of interested in and found plenty of doe bedding and stuff like that around some of these cuts and stuff like that. So I'm just curious, man, when you're setting up cameras, what are you typically setting cameras up on? Like what's telling you to, to set a camera up? Cause the other thing is too, is, you know, there's not like a, you know, you don't find beaten down trails in these types of areas because like, there's just so much land, like there's so much area and because there's not a ton of topography and a lot of it's flat. Like you mentioned, it's not like there's a bunch of like terrain features that are funneling deer into specific areas, you know what I mean? And so it's almost yep. feels like they're nomadic. So it's like, how are you, what are you setting cameras up on to get your inventory? So like you said, scrapes, I, um, mm-hmm. if I find a scrape, like again, throughout the spring, I'm marking every scrape, but if I see something with like a, a really nice licking branch that, that snapped off and, and a pretty fresh grounds kind of scraped away, I'm definitely putting a camera uh, on that. I've had deer throughout the summer and, and into, into early fall, like consistently hitting those. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a, a scrape that, that you think is, is pretty active and it's being used more like sort of more of a community scrape kind of ordeal. Mm-hmm. I would definitely put a camera on that. Um, like I said, if any of these like kind of secluded food plots, if they have clover or anything that's going to be attractive to deer, I'm going to put a camera on that more so just to see kind of what's coming in the seeding mm-hmm. um, in the area. Um, and then when you're getting close to those, those clear cuts, I'm looking for any kind of entrance and exit trails that again, you're not going to, you may not see the beaten down trails, but right. when, when you're walking through it, you're going to know like they're coming in and out of this area. Like, I'll yeah. put cameras on, on that as well, just to kind of see if I can catch any, any buck moving in and out through there. Right. Um, and it usually, it usually pays off. I, I usually have pretty good luck. I, let's just say, like I said, I'm always, every year I have a, a list of bucks that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try to shoot. And usually doesn't really uh, come to fruition most years on <laughs> getting them, but right. I can at least get them on camera. So. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, cause there's one area around a cut, like it's a classic, like there's a ring around it that they're walking and it's like, there's a cut and then there's like a trail just on the inside of like that, just at the outside edge of that cut on the inside edge of mountain laurel. Right. So there's a cut and then mm-hmm. right into mountain laurel. And then right after that, it's an, it's a small Oak flat. And I was like, that for me is kind of like probably like one of the best early season setups or areas that I found because they're clearly traveling around that, that cut is going to be green and and just like a banging food source for them throughout the summer and early part of fall, even shit through the winter with like the briar and stuff like that. Um, and then you've got the acorns there. If they drop, like they're going to just be, you know, it'd be bananas, you know, like that area is just going to hold deer. And we've actually found some sheds in there too. So there were bucks that were kind of hanging out in there. Um, and so that's the one area that I'm kind of thinking of. So to your point, it's like how they're getting in and out. That was kind of my first thought too, was that, okay, this cut, there's a big classic ring around it. They're obviously using this probably a great place to inventory. Not quite sure how Mm -hmm. I would hunt it because the access into it would be kind of a little bit tough, but it was probably like the best early season setup I had. And then certainly those scrapes. I wanted to ask you, man, like 
one of the things that I've kind of noticed in some of these areas, I'm just curious if it, if it holds true here, because where I did find some of the sign was actually on like some like <clears throat> really small benches that you really didn't see much on the map. But when I walked mm-hmm. it, it was like, oh, shit, I was like, it's starting to flatten out. And now there's like a bench here. And it was like, boom, scrape, you know. And so are you finding that they're using more benches to kind of get around and laying sign down on? Because that was where like I've noticed that in some other areas that I hunt, like they won't really run the tops too much like on ridges. Now, I know this is this area has big tops because it's you're on top of a mountain, but it always yeah. just seemed like those little flat spot bench like bench systems that that you maybe don't even see on a map they always seem to kind of be places where they congregate and lay down sign. Is that, is that hold true for, for, for this area as well for you? Yeah. Like I have two spots I can think of right now that are, are very nice bench areas that are going up these, these mountains. And I, I, I've found a, a great amount of sign, whether usually the, the wider parts of the, like the, the wider benches is where I usually find the scrapes. Mm-hmm. Whereas the narrower ones, for whatever reason, I usually find more kind of bedding areas. Hmm. whether it's just because they just feel a little bit safer kind of right. with the, the, the kind of close drop off and then the kind of their backs a little bit, like some more against the, the ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually find better bedding in that kind of situation. But yeah. again, benches are kind of definitely a challenge to hunt based on kind of wind and, and where, how you yeah. come in and approach them. Yeah. Um, because a lot of those times that they're, they're definitely the, the buck are, are sitting up pretty high on those, those mountains. So trying to hike up there and, and not really, them is definitely going to be a challenge right um but yeah i, I definitely the, if you can find the any kind of nice bench systems you, you're going to find good good deer sign right. again because like i said 75 percent of the tops are all kind of um just flat open or just right. kind of like flat just uh yeah thick nasty stuff that they're going to not really want to be right spending a lot of time in so yeah um but yeah like like you said about that spot i I would definitely put a cluster of cameras kind of uh in that area because you you found a pocket of interest and that's uh, like how i would approach that is definitely put like three or four cameras in that area just like you said they're nomadic they're not really following one straight trail in and out of these spots so the more cameras you can have in that area to try to catch any kind of movement the the better right and are do you run cameras year round or or do you just kind of run them through the season what's your approach to that um i today i put out three cameras i usually start like i said at end of may and then uh i'll, I'll run them up until um depending on if if the spots that i have them in are, are pretty um accessible to rifle hunters i'll usually pull mm-hmm. them by the end of archery or, or kind of into early december january I'll, I'll take them out right yeah that makes sense it's about the same thing that i do unless i have some really remote areas and i'll leave them up year-round but anything that's somewhat accessible yeah. I kind of pull mine too and i just buy those $28 Tasco cameras and try to stack up on it as much as I can. Um, it's that because the cell phone service here is hit or miss. I don't really, I'm not able to really to run any cell cameras or anything like that either. Right. Right. And so now I want to talk just a little bit about sign. Cause I want you to kind of paint a picture for me as far as like what good sign looks like in this area. Cause I know you and I talked a little bit about what I was finding, you know, and you know, I was thinking that it was good based on experiences and other kind of big woods pieces and stuff like that, but also it was, you know, not a hundred percent sure. Right. And so it was kind of fortuitous that you kind of, you know, pinged me on, so on, uh, on Instagram and, uh, you know, and we're familiar with some of the stuff I was talking about. And I was like, 
perfect. I was like, so this, so I'm not crazy. This is actually pretty decent. <laughs> I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just talk to me a little bit about that. Like whenever you find a rub, like what's a good rub for you? What's a good scrape in this, in this area in terms of like the, the sign that would get you excited. So usually a good rub, the, the majority of rubs that I'm finding are like that I consider quote unquote, a good rub is probably on trees that are baseball bat thick. Um, Mm-hmm. Usually, I look for kind of how how tall the rubs are. Like mm-hmm. I said, obviously, a spiker is not going to be able to to rub his his antlers twenty four inches to to make a rub. Um, right. So any kind of rub that's just kind of decently tore up, kind of long in length, and then if it is a bigger tree and you do see kind of time marks, obviously the, the, that's a good indicator of a a nice a nicer buck. Um, right. I, I rarely, I don't really find those big kind of uh, hammer rubs or or anything along those lines i i do have one area that for whatever reason there's no small rubs and every rub i found is a is a hammer sized rub so i'm not really quite sure how to make that out yet and it's right. a new spot i'm gonna be hunting so i don't really really know what's in there but maybe there's 160 inch running around that's tearing all these trees up but uh right that's to be determined so usually like i said if i find a cluster of rubs i kind of will consider that a good sign i, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily you can, I mean, you can tell just from when you're sitting in a tree and you see during the rut and you see a little buck running by and just kind of half-assed, just rubbing their, their antlers on mm-hmm. the tree and just keep on moving. You can tell kind of those rubs from, from more of a, a deer that kind of has more testosterone and is, is uh, working a tree. So right. rubs, up. like I said, are kind of, I'm just looking for rubs. I don't necessarily need to see the biggest rub in the, in the valley. Um, I just want to know that there is a buck in there and he is, uh, he is, uh, trying to, to lay down some sign. Right. And then scrapes. You usually, I don't often find a lot of scrapes per se across the whole, the whole mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. But when I do find scrapes, I usually find two to three to four scrapes in kind of a, maybe a 200 yard radius. Usually it's, it's around areas that I, uh, have have more diversity regarding clear cuts and so forth. So right. I'm looking for, for any kind of scrape that's got a good, good licking branch that's, that's been snapped and twisted around. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily see like the, like the, what are you guys, sometimes people call them like the truck, the, yeah, uh, like dashboard, the, like the car the hood. Like yeah. The car hood. Yeah, size. yeah. The car. Yeah. I'm never really finding like a car hood size, size scrape or anything like that. But, um, like I said, I'm just happy to find consistent deer sign, like, rub scrapes scat I, I i like i like looking for for droppings that are that are big in size when mm-hmm. when i was out in colorado i kind of realized this thing i'm like well I'm, I'm finding these droppings that are huge and i'm like i'm like well obviously like i'm chasing a deer that's 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 bigger than a whitetail and right. uh, i just kind of associated bigger droppings with a bigger deer not necessarily a bigger rack but by finding good size droppings larger than your kind of your common deer Deer uh, scat. I'm definitely paying attention to that. So, right. There's nothing really in particular one sign that I'm looking at that's saying, all right, this is going to be uh, the winning spot. I'm looking kind of for a good mix of everything in, right. in an area is what right. I, what I like to find. Right. And that was the one thing that I I I realized, you know, when you and I were kind of texting back and forth and stuff was like all the stuff you just mentioned. I found in that one area, and it was probably within mm-hmm. roughly 200 yards. And those those scrapes were there were three all together, like in one spot, literally like right beside each other, like one, two, three, one, three different trees, like mm-hmm. in a row. And then that was actually that tied into that bench that I had mentioned. 
And when I got into that bench, there was like a rub there. And then there were like two more scrapes there. And that was maybe only like 75 yards away. And then if you went the opposite direction, that was where I picked up like a cluster of rubs and then down along the edge of this cut. And it was probably like 200 yards away or whatever, like a couple, you know, rubs along the way. It might be a little further than that. Um, but Mm -hmm. anyway, it wasn't like, it wasn't a ridiculous distance. And then it was like, I picked up that, that rub line and into that bed. Right. And so that was what kind of told me, like going back to what you were saying, like marking all these things and you can kind of see how they all start to tie together. And that was whenever I went back and I looked at the map and I was like, I was like, Oh man, I was like, all these things kind of like all run together. Right. I was like, it's this loop that's happening. Cause there was some other sign that I found up, up, uh, I think it was up top on, uh, above the clear cut. And I was like, this deer's just kind of like using this general area, you know what I mean? I was like, cause it all kind of feels like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, maybe not the same deer, but it's like, it's all in the same general area where it it would make sense that that's how a deer would travel. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, which was, which was kind of cool to hear that from you because I was, I just wasn't sure how this stuff was all, all kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, man. It's like, whenever you're in a new area hunting, it's like, whatever you can do to try to meet folks that are from that area to kind of tell you what kind of sign you're looking at, you know what I mean? Cause like me yeah. living there, not, not ever having talked to you. It's like, I probably would have been like, man, scouting was really kind of a bust. Like I haven't really found a whole lot yeah. that I'm willing to go set cameras on or anything like that. You know what I mean? But yeah, after talking to you, I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to set cameras on that and see what's, see what's doing in that general area. So that's, the, I, I uh, think you'd be pleasantly surprised when you do put cameras out and do see, like I said, you're not going to, you may not get 200, 300, 400 pictures on your camera when you run a, put them all somewhere else. Right. But if you get 50 pictures and you get 10, pictures of, of a nice buck cruising it's gonna you're gonna be be uh be happy because like i said a lot like that old timer said to you like you don't see a lot of buck up there but when you do see one it could be the biggest buck you've ever shot right so it's yeah. it's, it's that it's just that vast of, of ter- territory and i don't really think it gets pressure but i don't think a lot of buck get pulled out of the area mm-hmm. that there's just there's definitely some deer in there that probably have never even come across a, a human uh, right. that are living living back in there yeah and that was kind of the sense that i got too is that the deer that are in there get an opportunity to get some age on them right it's kind of the same thing when you get out to like the alleghenies where some of my buddies hunt it's you know it's it's pennsylvania but there's people pulling hammers out of there because it's just a vast area and some of these deer are getting you know up you know aging to like six years old where they're reaching mm-hmm. their their maturity, you know, their full potential, whatever that is, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're hitting that. So they, you know, you're getting good caliber deer just based on the age of them essentially. But speaking of good caliber deer, man, you know, I'm, I know I've, I've held you here for a little over an hour. I want to be sensitive to your time, but you know, I want to talk about this deer that you killed this year, man. Cause I know when we were chatting, you sent me a picture of the buck that you killed up in this, uh, you know, general area and it's a hammer. And so I kind of want to hear, <laughs> I kind of want to, that was kind of one of the things like you said, like, Hey man, you know, I, I'm, I'm not familiar hundred percent with exactly where I'm at, but you're from the area, you know, and you were like, Hey, I heard you were up in the Northeast and just wanted to say, Hey, you know, there, you know, there are some decent, decent deer up here. And you sent me your, the picture and I was like, I was like, all right. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to definitely spend some time <laughs> and, 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 and not, yeah. to mention, not to say that I don't have some decent ones around here. Cause I definitely chased some good ones last year oh, around yeah. here, but you know, it's like, I'm always looking to try to find other pockets of areas. So I just want to hear how this, how this kind of hunt and how this, how this deer all kind of came together. So did you, did you know of this deer before you killed it? Did you have trail camera pictures of it? Like, did you know he was alive or was it just kind of like a random, random thing? 
Yeah, so this year actually I got on camera. I think it was I went I went back actually in this area. It was a new spot for me last year that I went back in April and kind of scouted around a little bit. Um, found some. I, I went back on this trail. It probably was about a little over a mile and a half to get back there, and it was um, there was multiple uh, fields, and and one of them had had fresh clover growing in it. Um, so I'm like, oh, this is nice. And I found multiple scrapes around the perimeter. I found a, a nice actual signpost rub that I, I did find in that in that spot. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll have to come back here. So I, I did go back um, probably May to June, and I, I did put a camera out. And uh, I think it was July when I went back and checked it, because usually I wait about a month or so, and I'll, I'll go in and, and check them just to make sure they're, still, they're working appropriately and uh, mm-hmm. see if anything hits it. And I was – the first camera pool i was i was shocked like for these areas like you don't like if you see two to three deer together it's like oh that's 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 a a lot of deer in in one camera but i i pulled this camera and i had i think it was 10 to 12 Hmm. different deer feeding in this clover plot i'm like oh my god like that's probably every deer in a in a 30 mile radius that's that's feeding in this area (laughs) right so um and then actually as i was flipping through i get this this daylight photo it was around like i don't know seven ish in the evening of this uh this huge mainframe uh, what was he a 10 point that uh just was had thick mass on him coming come into this this plot and uh, in july like he, he had his frame out but i could just see the the the, the start of a, a drop time for me on the one side i'm like oh man this is this is too good to be true so i i left the cameras I left that camera on that uh that spot uh throughout the summer and after that, all, every photo I got was was evening photos, evening photos. And actually, I had there was about like maybe four or five different bucks. There was one other nice one I think actually was probably body wise just seemed a little bit older um, mm-hmm. than this one. Um, but so I had camera pictures of them uh, coming in. So then in end of July into August, I'm like, well, I got to kind of figure out where he's coming from. So um, I kind of started backtracking and went up this ridge where, cause every photo I got of him, he was coming from this left side, which there's this ridge up on, on the left side. So I followed that up and it was kind of a, uh, hemlock mixed with some, some oak trees. And, uh, of course there, it wasn't really a good acorn, uh, crop for us this year. Um, but I followed that up and, uh, it kind of turned into some, some hemlocks and I found a scrape up there kind of close to the top. So I put a camera on the scrape. I, I went back and checked it in August. And uh, sure enough, when I checked it in August, I um, end of August, I had a picture of him coming in and uh, hitting that licking branch and, and working the scrape. So I'm like, oh, this is, I'm getting closer. So I um, I went back in. I I think I, I really didn't get much photos of him him in September. I got him around like 5 a.m. I put I kind of put more cameras around the perimeter of, of the plots and everything, and pulled some cameras off because at that point, like September, it is usually the archery hunters. Uh, are kind of coming in and, and also setting up cameras and the fact that it was over a, a plot I didn't want to get stolen. Right. Um, so I got another picture around 5 a.m. Um, I went back there the first day of archery. I think it was October 3rd was our first day of archery. Mm-hmm. Um, I hunted kind of right close by to that scrape. All I saw was a, a small bear that day, no, no deer at all. So um, I'm like, okay, like it's going to be one of these seasons again where I kind of try to chase a deer that I usually <laughs> never have luck targeting a buck that I get on cameras that I ended up killing in the right. fall. So I didn't want to fall into that pattern. There was like between the whole, all my cameras that I had out, there was maybe three or four different bucks that I considered shooters, maybe three year old, 100 and 
10, 120 class deer that I'd be happy to shoot. Right. Um, so I kind of, uh, didn't want to get my hopes high in this one. So I came back, uh, next was on the Thursday it was October 8th. And at this point we had a, a slight drop uh, in temperature, a little cold front came by. I think it was about eight degrees colder than what it had been, um, the prior couple of days. So I ended up, I usually mountain bike back into the spot. So I mountain bike back there. This time, most of the pictures, I, like I said, he was coming off the left side, off this ridge. But occasionally, I get photos of him coming from the, the right side. So I did kind of a big loop. I have, um, with I usually like a, a lock-on stand and, and sticks. Mm-hmm. But all that, plus my uh, my uh, Western frame pack just to, to have as well in case I got something to, to quarter and everything. So I hiked around, did a bit big uh, loop. I ended up bumping two dough. And I circled up and around these food plots. And then I kind of started coming on the other side of that, that ridge where I had the, the picture of him and the scrape. And um, it, it, I ended up bumping another, another buck and a doe, and they kind of ran across and down. So, so down below was kind of maybe a couple of years ago, there was a, a storm and it blew a bunch of trees down. So it's all down trees and kind of new growth and grasses and everything like that uh, growing up below it. So I'm like, okay, like if I was a deer, I'd be bedded down in here. So where I kind of had that camera, it was kind of right below a saddle. So I kind of set up on the other side of this saddle. There was no scrapes. There was no rubs. If it wasn't for me bumping those deer and just saying like, all right, like I, I don't want to keep on pushing forward in case those deer do swing around in the evening. I just set up randomly. I thought in the spot. Um, so I set up in the tree and then probably it was the last half hour of light. I just happened to look down below me um, out of that, that thick cover of the grass and everything. And uh, I see see brown of a of a, a deer working its way up. I wasn't sure if uh, like what it was at that point, um, and I didn't want to get my hopes up. So just continue to sit there. It starts working its way up closer. At that point, I pull up my binos and I, I just immediately see the drop time. I'm like, are you hmm. kidding me? Like he's he's, <laughs> he's here, because um, like I said, that usually never happens for me. So he works his way up and he's he's coming straight straight on a um, a line right up towards me. Um, he ends up kind of coming. I think he was actually going to come up and kind of cross right in between that saddle and kind of go where that maybe hit the, the scrape and then work his way back to uh, those those fields to feed in. Because I was about a little over half a mile back from from those those plots that I had pictures of him in the summer. Right. Um, so he ends up coming like right up to her towards me. And it was almost like, a, like an old quad trail or something. It just was a little opening. And he steps out and he's within under 12 yards of me. And hmm. It was uh it was a hard like quartering two shot and I, I hit him high high up and the arrow just kind of buried in him but it didn't come out and he immediately turned and like took off straight down down the ridge and um I ended up calling my one buddy uh, Tim and he uh, he was like 45 minutes away hunting somewhere else he drove out um, and then my dad was I had him uh, on the other side of the of the game lands and uh, kind of met up and and went back in again and hiked down down to where where i last saw him and it was it was a tough blood trail because of how that arrow was angled and it just there was no blood really to come out it was all kind of up top so any kind mm-hmm. of like higher leaves i would i'd see a little specks of blood so right he ended up being 200 yards down that ridge from where i shot him at and um yeah you, you always think i'm like, okay like i'm so far back like i was probably at least two miles back when all said and done <laughs> and if i go down below me and uh when I came back in October later in the month to scout and look around that area, and there's a, like a literally a hang on stand a hundred yards from where that deer died that must have come <laughs> off the private piece. So it's like you, right. you think you're out in the middle of nowhere, and then you find a, 
another right. uh, another tree stand or human sign. So right. all in all, like we ended up having to, to quarter it there because I was so far back. And I think I put eight miles on total that day. Jeez. And uh, thankfully I had the frame pack and got him out. So he ended up scoring, I think he was just shy of like 134 inches. Nice. Yeah. It um, was a great, he's a great deer, man. And his mass too is just like stupid, stupid mass on that deer. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, like, it's, it's funny. Cause when I saw the picture of him, like I saw, um, I think you sent me like the score or something like that. And I was like, or maybe I read it on your Instagram page or something like that. And I was like, man, there's no way it's mm-hmm. gotta be bigger than that. Cause just like looking at his mass was just like, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he just, I mean, it's the size of a beer bottle. <laughs> like, and he carries, yeah, yeah, he, it really is. Yeah. And it's like, and I'm saying that because you sent me a picture of like his, his, uh, skull cap next to a a beer bottle and it's like it's legit that was like a, a wine bottle a wine bottle geez that's even yeah i mean it's like and he carries it all the way out like it's like that was in between like the g2 and the g3 right if i'm not mistaken it's like and he carries the yeah his mass all the way out which is crazy yeah yeah it was it was incredible and like i said i i don't i don't honestly i i, I didn't age the the tooth or anything like that mm-hmm. um i didn't send it out but just looking at it i I, I'd be hard pressed to put him at four years old. Like he, he may only have been, have been a, a three and a half year old buck, um, right. which is it's crazy too as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah. I, I usually don't pull my standards up that high. Like if I can shoot 120 inch respectable buck on, on these, on these uh, game lands, I'd be happy every year. Um, right. But yeah, he's definitely an incredible deer for the area. So I, yeah. I can't be more pleased with them. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, He's a killer deer man and uh, a killer story. Um, just it's it's cool that you actually had pictures of him early and kind of figured him out, you know, or knew kind of the area that he was kind of hanging out in, and you just kind of made the right the right choice. I mean, when you said you were a half mile off that food, you know, I mean, that's like as soon as you said that, I was like, oh man, that's probably like classic staging area. Like that's probably where he's staging. You know, what I mean, like I, that's the spot yeah, he's coming yeah. out to as he's making his way toward that. He's just going to kind of kick it there for a little while until he gets some cover of dark because he's. Probably not. Well, obviously he was there in daylight, so he's not far from bed at that point. You know, yeah. like, I'd be curious. Have you gone back and like looked or like looked at the map to see like the direction he was coming from, like where the likely bedding would be that he was spending time in? Because since he got there with yeah, daylight I mean, left. Yeah, so I, I walked all through that bottom section and everything. And um, again, it, 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 it's hard because it's not like it's not classic deer bedding that you'd think of. It's just literally just a pile of, of blowdowns and. There were mm-hmm. some tree roots and everything like that that were kind of flipped over, and I honestly think he was just bedding on one of those uh, those little spots there, and just kind of at that point, like he just it, it, no one else, like nobody would go through that that area, and I think that's why made it attractive for that that spot. And yeah. I'm going to be curious this year when I go back, and I'm going to hunt again close by that area and see if another mature deer has kind of taken that area as his own and see if if there's anything hanging out down there, I'll probably put a camera, like get a little more aggressive and put it kind of real, real close to that, right. that bedding area and see, see what happens. But again, if you, if you, I took my buddies back there in that spot and like, they're like, wait, this is where you shot the deer. Like if you went by that spot, you would, you would just keep on going. There was really nothing right. that would draw you to say like, let's hunt here. Like there, there's no rubs, no, no scrapes, nothing really sign wise that was outstanding. But I think that maybe just the terrain features and just kind of, thankfully getting photos of him throughout the summer and kind of just getting closer and closer to the daylight photos of him and just trying to, to piece that together, I think was the, the biggest factor in me yeah. getting a shot on him. So. Well, that, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think with one of the first things you said, which is like, you know, some people, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. I think most people are, you get enamored with sign, you get enamored with 
topo and you know terrain features and reading maps and stuff like that, which are all like should be used and are valuable but still at the end of the day a big mature deer what he wants more than anything is be left alone right yep. so it's like where's the area where he can be left alone and be and be safe and not just left alone from people but left alone from other deer you know and so you find yep. those little pockets you know, that's, that's where they're going to spend time. Right. And then if you can find terrain and stuff like that to kind of help them get to and from that makes sense that, you know, that, that benefit them, then that's just like the icing on the cake. But at the end of the day, they just want away from people and they want away from other deer, especially once they go hard horned and, and start to kind of get ready for, for rut. And I think the biggest, the biggest piece of advice I can give people and, and just, it's just the scouting. It's just so important just to kind of get familiar with the area that you're hunting because mm-hmm. these animals call it this their home like they know it better than than we'll ever know it so you got to kind of put much effort into learning with their home just to have a better chance of of getting a a shot on one yeah exactly well awesome man i appreciate you coming on buddy before i let you get going let people know where they can find out more about you and uh, follow along with any of your uh, your outdoor excursions this year yeah so i'm usually i'm most active on instagram and it's uh uh, T run scav, um, is, is where you can find me at. So, um, hopefully everyone has a, a good, uh, spring scouting and uh, a good fall coming up. Awesome, man. Well, Hey man, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. And I think you and I are going to spend some time talking here in the not so distant future on and off as I, as I get for more f- familiar with some of these areas. Sound good. Yep. Sounds good, man. Awesome. Nice brother. You. Appreciate you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.